Welcome to our continuing 2018 educational webinar series. I am Katherine Short, Partnership Marketing Manager for FIRST Healthcare Compliance. At FIRST Healthcare Compliance, we help you with a comprehensive compliance management solution tailored to your business. A hospital, hospital network, healthcare practice of any size, billing company, or skilled nursing facility. As part of our complimentary educational webinar series, we bring you experts from around the country to discuss relevant topics in the healthcare industry. We are so pleased to have Raymond Ribble, founder of Sphere Inc. and co-founder of Fusion Systems Company Limited with us today. Ray leads the Sphere organization as they deliver privacy and security cybersecurity solutions in healthcare. Sphere represents the leading SaaS-based privacy monitoring security solution for HIPAA compliance, meaningful use, and MIPS offering overall protection of patient health information. Ray participates in a number of healthcare groups, speaks at universities, industry conferences, and webinars, while actively contributing to the growing awareness of the need to identify unauthorized access to PHI and breach detection. With over 25 years in the technology industry, Ray has been involved in delivering solutions for multiple industries from aerospace with Northrop to investment banking financial systems in Asia for many of the world's top banks to the recent creation of machine learning based solutions for the US healthcare markets. Ray remains active in international businesses and technology communities, including PHI Protection Network, Medical Identity Fraud Alliance, the American Chamber of Commerce in Japan, the Japan American Society, the YMCA, as well as many charities. Ray holds a Bachelor of Science in Aerospace Technology and Management from Western Michigan University and completed his advanced Japanese studies at UCLA. A copy of the slide deck is available for download on the control panel. Feel free to submit questions in the question box on your control panel during the presentation. We will address questions at the conclusion of the presentation. Your PACOM and PMI CEU certificates will be emailed to you following the broadcast. Your PACOM certificate will come directly from PACOM and your PMI certificate will be will come from our email. There's no need to request either one. Additional CEU opportunities will be available to BC Advantage members following the live broadcast. See their website for details. A download of the handout is available with a button on the bottom right-hand side of your screen. So without further ado, Ray, welcome. Thank you, thank you, and hello everybody. Uh, konnichiwa. You know, I guess uh, with that beautiful introduction, I should at least throw a little bit of Japanese in there to make it real. Um, today, what I'd like to do is talk to everybody a little bit about uh, HIPAA security rule, and I think the idea is how to manage the adherence to that. And what I've done is prepared a number of slides that I'd like to walk through, talk about, and hopefully put some ideas in your minds as to what you're doing uh, to address security of the PHI and protecting the PHI on behalf of your patients. Um, let me click through, oh, my apologies. So uh, I like to start with a quote. I thought this quote was the most appropriate for where we're going. Um, if you haven't had your identity stolen already, you will. Uh, as you know, a citizen out there, I use the commercial markets. Um, I've been breached in one manner or another seven times over the last three years. 
Um, and that's what I'm aware of, I should say. So I was uh, an Anthem customer. I am a Home Depot customer. I was a Lowe's customer, uh, so on and so forth. And each one of those organizations had a major breach that took place where I was notified that my records were part of that. Uh, so I'm, I think I'm a lifelong life lock customer at this point, uh, but I'm not sure it's doing me any good. Nonetheless, we should be aware of what's happening with our records. We should be aware of what the organizations we do business with are doing to protect our information for us. Catherine did a great job of introducing me, and, and Catherine, thank you so much for doing that. I am Raymond Ribble, and I have been involved in the IT industry for over 25 years. I got my start in aerospace in uh, helping to design the flight control systems for some of America's most advanced bombers and fighter uh, programs um, transitioned after uh, going to UCLA into a career in international business in Japan where I founded my first IT company together with my business partners. We grew that and today I represent Sphere Inc. Uh, I'll talk a little bit about Sphere at the end of the presentation and, and explain what we do, but what I'd like to do is focus on your behalf on what's happening with regard to the security rule. Uh, and I thought the best way to do that is to just kind of go over four quadrants and, and talk about it. So uh, a review, it's covered entities, business associates, subcontractors. Each of us in our capacity that we work together have a responsibility for protecting the, the PHI that may fall into the parameters of the work that we do. Uh, most of, if not all of, the rules fall on the shoulders of the covered entity. The covered entity makes sure that they have signed business associate agreements together with their partners and that their partners are taking steps to secure information that they may have third parties involved with. This all came about back in 2003 through 2005, uh, but it really gained heightened awareness when the high-tech program started, and that's how I actually got involved in this back in 2010 and 2011 as we bid and won the contract to work with uh, the high-tech program here in Southern California. Uh, we worked with over 2,000 uh, practices and organizations, clinics, and we saw that there was this big gaping hole with regard to security, specifically the lack of organizations conducting and completing a security risk assessment and little or no attention to the protection of PHI. And that's really where I kind of changed hats and I really became an advocate of what can we do to protect people, to protect patients, and help middle and large size organizations and small organizations to adhere to the various rules that were coming out of meaningful use now with MACRA and MIPS. Um, and the last thing I want to hit on is the privacy rule is different from the security rule. And I thought there was no better way to emphasize that than to let's just make sure what is the privacy rule because I think it's easy to get confused between the two. So the privacy rule deals with your policies and procedures. So you have that book somewhere in the front of the office that if an auditor were to come in and say, okay, show me your policies and procedures, you can pull that out and show that to them. You're taking the time that every time you have an incident in your office that is indicative of a HIPAA violation, a small one, a big one, use it as an opportunity to train and educate your employees on the importance of HIPAA compliance. Um, and then how do you investigate those uh, those distractions that, that take place within your office or infractions, to use the correct word, um, how do you investigate them and what are the policies and procedures, again, that you use in order to remediate any problems that you have within your office? 
And then lastly, it's conducting regular and appropriate analysis to make sure that the records that you are keeping, either physically or digitally, are monitored such that the safety is ensured. That you can say on a day-to-day -day basis that I know that none of my employees or anybody who's credentialed into my system is inappropriately or in an unauthorized manner looking at that PHI. And those who are looking at it are doing it as a direct response and responsibility of the role that they have within our organization. Um, so what is PHI? Uh, you know, I get asked this question a lot because people get confused about where does that fall into. So it's past, present, and future information, health information that is related to the patient. It's focused on that specific individual. And I thought the best way to do that was to just kind of give you an idea of where you would find it. So it's stored, it's accessed, it's maintained. It might be on a server, it could be in the cloud. I'm for, for sure everybody keeps hearing about the cloud. Uh, it's retained because depending on where you are and what type of a practice you're running, uh, it may be anywhere from six years to seven years. And if you're running a pediatrics organization until they, I believe, hit their 22nd birthday. Uh, so it could be retained for a long period of time, depending on your organization. And it's transmitted. You may be working in a large organization that has offices spread over a large geographical area. So you're relying on third party carriers in order to move information around. You may be part of an HIE or you may be part of an ACO where you're changing information between practices. Um, as that data gets transmitted, it's your responsibility, your organization's responsibility to ensure the safety and the security of that data as it moves around. I uh, put something together that I thought was a little bit more representative. Is where is the PHI, right? So it's on desktops, laptops, tablets, paperwork in the files. That's the old days, right? Or printers, faxes. I don't have faxes on here. Copiers, uh, bring your own devices nowadays becomes an issue. So it's something that you may want to police within your organizations. And more and more, we're hearing about medical devices. Medical devices have PHI in them. You may think that it's difficult to access, but remember, we're not dealing with the digital world. And so a hacker only needs to find a back door that allows them to get into that. To visually look at it, it's where all those circles exist, those are potential access points for some bad person to come in and try to steal your data. Let's take a look at it in a different perspective. Uh, in that room, what could I have? I could have tablets, I can have printers, I have the medical devices again. Different devices that contain information that I'm responsible for keeping up to date. Little word of advice, make sure that you're talking to your vendors who support those systems in those circles and ask them, have we updated the firmware with the latest and greatest versions that would prevent any type of access through a third party? Uh, simple question, easy for them to answer, and typically easy for them to go in and do the update for you. If you put that as part of your checklist that you're talking to your vendors about on a monthly basis, it takes two or three minutes of your time, a few minutes of their time, and it can protect you from a very unsightly uh, risk incident within your organization. So the security rule. It's broken into three areas here, uh, and you're probably used to this being referred to as the security risk assessment. This is something that you're conducting on an annual basis. Uh, worst case scenario, it should be, in my opinion, about every 12 to 18 months. I think HIPAA says regular and appropriate. Well, regular and appropriate these days is being narrowed more and more. So let's just say I would recommend that you do it every 12 months. Pick a start point, work on it, 
continue to gradually improve your position. So administrative, how do you manage the policies and procedures within your organization? What are the rules and regulations that exist within your organization as it relates to patient information? Physical, what type of purchases have you made and what type of infrastructure have you implemented in terms of firewalls, encryption software that would prevent somebody from exfiltrating that data or moving that data into an area where they later could exfiltrate that data and cause damage to your organization and cause harm to your patients. And lastly, technical. So physical and technical sometimes sound very similar to each other. Technical is really what are you doing together with that EMR organization that you've partnered with to have access to your audit logs? Are you reviewing those audit logs? Have you implemented the technologies that are recommended under NIST? Uh, if anybody's not familiar with NIST, uh, N-I-S-T, if you go in and say NIST, NIST standards and take a look at that, there's a beautiful explanation of the uh, framework that's required uh, or recommended, I should say, for organizations to follow. If you build a security framework within your organization, you'll never be accused of willful neglect in terms of preventing a breach. So hopefully this just gives you a high-level view of what you're looking at, administrative, physical, technical, the people who are conducting your security risk assessment in your office, this would be a great time to have a conversation with them and ask them, how well are we adhering to this? How do we update this on a year-to-year -year basis? And are we gradually improving? Because remember, it's a dynamic environment as well. So you get an upgrade. You move from on-premise servers to off off-premise in the cloud. So that's going to impact the way you administrate, the way the physical barriers are put in place, and the technical uh, guidelines that are applied. So everything is changing on a pretty regular basis. I'd like to throw this slide in here just to make sure that everybody is aware of what's happening. We've moved very rapidly, in, in my opinion, in a short period of time from a paper-based world to a digital-based world. And as we did that, there were a lot of holes that were left uh, in the industry, and we're still working very rapidly to plug them, but it's an expensive process to migrate from one to the other. So we need to be aware of what we're doing, and we need to be aware of the processes that we have in place. And what I've done in, on this slide is give you an opportunity to look at what's happening. You may be working with a system that just got acquired by a third-party company, and now you have to go through another migration. It's costly to your organization, which then means that you're not able to allocate specific funds to security or to privacy or to some other form of activity that you were planning on doing in the near future. Um, you have patients who just bought the newest uh, Apple Apple iWatch 4, and now they have more health information on there than they had before, and they're coming to you and asking you, how can I get more information from you than I could put on my watch? You're not responsible for that watch, and they are, but unfortunately, there is PHI that's being dispersed uh, through third-party systems that we need to be aware of and make a decision whether or not we're going to provide certain information uh, out there. The outsider threats are the ones that we hear about. But the insider threats are the ones that are increasing. In my most recent conversations with uh, the FBI office here in Los Angeles, he indicated that uh, the crime in terms of insider threats has increased from just over 60% into the 70 percentile range. So there are uh, incentives for people who are looking for something to exfiltrate data and then sell that data on an open market. And then the monetary return on that 
while we would think it's very dangerous, uh, those people find it uh, risk-adverse risk enough that they're willing to engage in that. Phishing attacks are something you need to absolutely be aware of. Even in our system, with all of our safeguards set up, I find that our filters are finding anywhere from three to five different phishing attempts from different types of organizations on a weekly basis. So don't just open and click. Take a moment to look at who it's from. Just because it looks like it's from Microsoft or AT&T or Verizon, typically the emails are built in such a way that it targets a format that you are familiar with, and it looks exactly like the type of email that you would get from that organization. Get used to taking your cursor and putting it over the thing where it says click here to learn more and look down in that left-hand corner and look at the URL and see if it's actually going to that site or is it going somewhere that you have no idea. And if you can't specifically identify where that email is going to go or where that message is going to open to, don't click on it. Call your IT guy, bring in an administrator, and have them take a look at it for you. Be safe. That's all I can tell you. Um, you know, we keep hearing about the number of records that are accessed and, and breached. 171 million is mind-boggling to the point where we're numb to the information. Nonetheless, the breaches continue to increase uh, here in the United States, and it's something that we need to be aware of. I won't go through each one of these for you today. I don't want to bore you. Um, what I want to do is just bring your attention to six very specific incidents that have occurred here in the United States in the last six months that are of note. And I specifically didn't pick just large, large organizations, but I picked different organizations where the type of breach that occurred from a security perspective was something that could happen to each of us uh, unknowing to ourselves. Um, you know, we hear about ransomware and we assume ransomware is always some large organization from China or Eastern Europe that's coming in. That's not always the case. There are a number of malicious individuals right here in our own backyards that are willing to do that. Uh, ransomware, of course, now has been deemed to be a breach. So if you're locked out of your system and you don't have the ability to get to your records, then the assumption is, is that possibly during that period of time, somebody else who installed that ransomware did have the opportunity to get in there. And unless you can show that you took the proper steps to secure that data, that the data was encrypted, then even if they did get to it, they wouldn't be able to extract it from your system, then you're going to be in trouble. We don't want that to happen. The thing I like to point out here is that take 16,000, take 85,000, take 64,487, multiply that times 500 or even worse, a larger number, and you start to get some sense of where the penalties and fines that are going to be enacted through HHS, through OCR, through CMS, depending on which audit group comes in here. Uh, there's going to be a lot of money that gets paid out. And then you have that one, two-year follow-up that you have to do with the patients to make sure that you're protecting them. So we're talking about millions of dollars in fines and penalties because we didn't take the steps and spend the money up front to educate our staff and to put in systems that would protect us from this type of an event. Um, so I'll move forward. What, what do we want to do? Uh, we like to say because you have to. You have to follow the rules from the security and from the privacy rule perspective. So familiarize yourself with them. Make them part of a weekly meeting that you're having within the practice to discuss, hey, what's something new or what's something that somebody's identified that we could improve in terms of our processes? Uh, because you want to. Well, prim non nocere. This is 
first do no harm. So I thought I would have some fun with some Latin here, and I'm sure my uh, pronunciation was terrible. Uh, but nonetheless, first do no harm. First do no harm now extends beyond just the, the Hippocratic Oath. It's what we do as organizations to protect the patient information that we now have in a digital format because we can't just close the door, turn off the lights, and set the alarm anymore. That data is in the cloud. It's there 24-7, 365. And because we are the covered entity, it's our responsibility to make sure that we've done everything that we can to protect that data. That may include having cyber insurance as, as a backup in case of a breach, but if you haven't implemented the proper systems up front, if you haven't taken advantage of the rules that are there from a security rule perspective, you may be found at fault the insurance policy may not be effective, and then you're really in a hole in terms of finances for your organization. And because you need to, you need to make sure that you've done everything possible to protect that data. And why do we do this? We do it because privacy matters. It matters for your organization and it matters for the patient who comes to you and trusts you to take care of them and, and puts all of their trust in your organization and your staff. So PHI, we know what PHI is now. I've kind of beat on that for you a second. Where is it found? It's found inside of an application. So it's found in applications such as on the left and right-hand side of this slide, various systems like Epic and Meditech and Cerner at the hospital level and Allscripts and eClinical Works and Athena Health uh, at the uh, ambulatory level. Um, so we're seeing PHI in third-party systems. Uh, we're seeing PHI in our imaging systems that we work with. And we have to make sure that it's not just the EMR that we're covering, but that we're looking at every system in our office that has PHI because we're responsible for protecting it in all forms throughout the organization. Um, what's expected? What's expected is some bad guy's going to come in there and he's, he or she is going to hack into my system and try to steal my data and I'm going to do everything I can to present that, prevent that from happening. But as I mentioned earlier, the FBI tells me that 70% of the theft that's taking place is from internal activity. So it's that individual who's sitting over in a corner that nobody can see, logged into the system, and potentially either for themselves or on behalf of somebody else because of some event that occurred in their life um, that was not in place just a few months ago, feels the need to do something that's inappropriate. Uh, one simple explanation may be snooping. They're looking at a record, they're looking at a relative, they're looking at a friend because they want to know. Um, nonetheless, it could be worse. It could be uh, that they're doing this in order to exfiltrate medical records and to take those medical records and put them on the open market. Uh, I had an opportunity to speak with and talk to people from Puerto Rico where they were telling me on average the uh, in the Puerto Rican environment, they're able to identify anywhere from seven to 10 records per month that are stolen from their file systems there and show up in Miami every month with people stealing identities. And especially with the hurricane and the problems that they had there, the problem is being uh, increased on a regular basis now. And they're looking for systems that will prevent that and police the staff that they have within their organizations going forward. So the common breach events, again, snooping is number one. Without a doubt, it's what we see in my world at Sphere. 
that occurs at all levels of organizations regardless uh, of who the people are. Negligence, knowing that you need to do something and not doing it. So willful neglect comes into play quite a bit. And if you read the articles about the breaches that have happened, more often than not, it was we had knowledge of the issue, but we hadn't had the time to implement a system that would solve that. And nobody has money to plug every hole that's out there, but you have to make sure that you're doing everything possible and that you've documented everything that you're doing in order to plug those holes. If it isn't documented, it didn't happen. Remember that. Human error. Human error can't be helped. We're all subject to that. But we, again, that's why I emphasize going back in and educating your staff. Every time there is an incident, use that incident as a teaching opportunity. And then intentional and unintentional targeting, the difference between hacking and phishing. And of course, why are they doing it? They're doing it for identity theft more often than not, because it's valuable to somebody somewhere. So just be careful. Uh, to visualize that in a different way, that bad person could be an employee, that bad person could be somebody on the outside. Why are they stealing it? Because they can create false identities, because they can use this for tax fraud. Just take a look at what's happening down in Florida right now and the number of reports with regard to that. And lastly, what we have seen, and it's been in the news a lot here in the United States, is drug uh, uh, with the opioid problem and drug malfeasance. We had an incident uh, in the Midwest where a physician was prescribing uh, opioids to himself and then getting those filled and selling those opioids on the open market. Uh, and that was well publicized in the press if you were to go look at that. Um, you don't want to be this individual. You log into the system and find out that you had a major breach. Uh, unfortunately, the problem is right now is you typically don't find that out until 360 plus days later. By then, all of the damage has been done, your patients have been affected, and you're now in a recovery mode together with your lawyers and legal authorities and your insurance company. So let's avoid that if we can. Um, I thought this would be interesting for today's discussion. I went and I pulled up some interesting information. This is what's documented right now from HIPAA Journal with regard to the number of breaches. Uh, a real big spike in the month of July, interestingly uh, spike in the month of July, almost 10 times from June. Um, and why is that? I don't know. Uh, it could have been one major breach that occurred, and I didn't do the research on that, but it just scares me that every year I look at this, there'll be some months where the number of breaches are greater. Is it because it's quiet at that time, and so people feel like that's a good time to go in and start doing things? Uh, we'll find out as the numbers uh, play out through the rest of this year. When I took a look at uh, the collaborating information coming in from HIMSS, uh, it kind of broke it down into two areas that I thought were pretty interesting here. And we'll keep it intuitive without putting the numbers there. You can see that phishing and the negligent insider are our number two areas that we're worried about. N number three is hacker. On the other side, how are they doing it? Well, email. You know, so one of the questions is, is your email encrypted? Are all of the workstations in your office encrypted? Um, have you spoken to your IT uh, staff and your IT administrator to make sure that we're up to date in terms of the encryption that we have, that we're monitoring what we're doing in our office to protect ourselves from these types of activities taking place? Um, so what I did is I put together a simple chart that shows the anatomy of a breach. We have that zero day. Uh, in this case, what I did is a vendor email desktop gets infiltrated. So that an agent in the form of an email gets into your system, it's implanted there. What it does is it starts to look and find uh, a way to impersonate the credentials of either that user or another user on the system. Once 
it has done that, it starts to look for the PHI that it's going to steal. It will move that PHI into an area that makes it easier for them to exfiltrate it at a later date, and then it starts the exfiltration process. You, on the other hand, don't become aware of it until a third party makes you aware of it as part of an audit that they conducted or a third party coming in to do business with you that required an assessment and you identified or they identified that it had taken place and the forensics told you that it happened way back on that zero day 362 days ago. And then now you have 15 to 60 days, depending on what state you're in, to get in there and notify everybody and start the process of remediation. Uh, not a good scenario to be in. Um, I have actual incidents of this happening across the United States, working together with our clients. With our product sphere, what we try to do is make sure that within 24 hours, you're aware of any incident with regard to unauthorized access to that PHI so that you're taking corrective actions the very next day so that this scenario never plays out within your organization. So the five steps towards compliance that I think are very useful for your organization to remember and to practice is, you know, determine what those security requirements are. And that's going to be your security risk assessment. That's going to be that administrative, the physical, and the technical uh, safeguards that you have there and making sure that people within the organization have assignments that they can work together as a team and self-educate yourself going forward that you know where the data gets sent and what protocols are being used. And of course, you're going to talk to your IT partners about how that happens. You don't have to know the specific answers yourself, but it should be documented. It should be in your policies and procedures and accessible for you so that if you get asked that question, you can answer. Well, next, think about how the data could be leaked or lost. So run some scenarios, have some conversations about what, what are our vulnerabilities, and if somebody were to steal the data, how could they do it that we wouldn't be aware of? And then turn around and ask the compliance officer or the IT manager, what could we do to shore that up to protect it more? And again, if you have that conversation, document the day and the time that you had that conversation and make that part of the public record so that, again, if you get audited, you can show that auditor that you did everything that you thought was reasonable and appropriate to protect that data on behalf of your patients. And then implement secure communication practices. Uh, and I always start with encryption. Make sure everything's encrypted and talk to your staff and talk to everybody about using proper password protocols. And lastly, as I mentioned before, educate the staff on security policies as often as you can. You know, don't, it doesn't need to be every day, but I think if it's one of your line items in your staff meetings on a weekly basis, not a monthly basis, that's only 12 times a year, but on a weekly basis talking to them or you know, tip of the day type of a thing, that's really going to help to improve the culture of security within your office. I'll transition here and just tell you a little bit about ourselves. We are Sphere Inc. And what we do is we're in the business of helping to protect patient PHI. I do that on behalf of organizations like yours. Uh, and I got into this business strictly because I had a passion for working together with and supporting the smaller and mid-sized organizations that didn't have access to the sophisticated technologies that were available to the large uh, hospital organizations at hundreds of thousands of dollars. So I pulled on some of the information and some of my experience I had from my days in aerospace and my days in the finance industry and looked at something that we could create that was in the cloud Nothing gets installed on your site that would allow you to know who's looking at your data 24 by 7 by 365. 
so our system is not a real-time system. It doesn't need to be real-time. What you need is to know if your staff and the individuals that you've credentialed into your system are doing what they're supposed to be doing. And if they're not, can you explain why they weren't? Were they filling in for somebody on a sick day? Were they covering some for somebody who's left the organization? Are they a brand new employee? So on and so forth. We can run through multiple scenarios where a, an anomaly is not a breach, but it, it can be explained. And our system allows you to document each incident to track that incident and have a record of it for the future so that if you get audited, you can sit down with that auditor and show them that you did everything possible to protect the data. But most importantly, we alert you to those uh, anomalies that occur. And if it is a breach, you can take immediate action. You have all the information in that port portal in order for you to take action and protect the data and protect your patient and protect your entity. So how do we do that? We do that through a daily audit of the data that's coming in from all of your audit logs. It's not just your EMR. It could be your PAC system. It could be your practice management system. It could be a billing system. We will alert you to any malfeasance, any anomaly that occurs, and then give you the ability to go in and manage that data on a daily basis. Most of our users, very large organizations, small organizations, will spend anywhere from eight to 10 minutes a day using our system, and then they get back to their core business. Um, Something we've seen and I thought was interesting to share with everybody here is the type of incidents that occur. So we find that the time of access, people logging in when they're not expected to log in, because we create a, a pattern, a profile for each user on your system. So we find that 35% of the people that we catch are usually go in when they're not supposed to be in the system, and that's an easy way to catch them. Last name matching is one of our detectors that's looking for people who are snooping. And we get asked a lot of questions about snooping um, and so on and so forth. So you can see the data here. Uh, again, as Catherine mentioned at the beginning, if anybody would like a copy of these slides, we're more than happy to make that available to you. And if you want to follow up with me later and ask questions about how we do this, I'm more than happy to answer those questions. So coming to a close here, and hopefully I haven't been too long-winded, the simple security starting points are, um, Build a complex password for yourself. So I really enjoyed Ray's speech would be a great password for your system because it's a long number of letters. You're looking at an encryption rate that would be very difficult to break. And so the algorithms that are used to get into those systems are going to pass that up. Most of us use an eight-lettered password. Well, the algorithms that the bad guys are using to get into the system are targeted on eight-letter algorithms. So if you have one that's 28 letters long, that, that system is going to look at that and say, ah, oh, that's going to take too long to compute. They'll move on to the next one. So think of some cute password, a sentence, a phrase, a cliche that you know that you use or, or a series of cliches that you could use and change them. Change them every month and don't use the same one on every system that you have. Um, Make sure that your system is using some type of a password and a security token, so two-factor authentication improves your position. Uh, from the business side of things, make sure that the people on that side are reviewing your financial records to make sure that nothing inappropriate is happening there. If you have backups, test them. Test them often. Uh, make people prove to you that the tests work. So, you know, that Saturday or Sunday test where they show you the results and that it actually did back up the entire system and that that system wasn't infected with the ransomware that was on the core system. Uh, unfortunately, this happens too often. So test, test, test. Uh, penetration test often. Find out if your employees are falling for phishing exercises or some type of a hack. Again, I emphasized many times in the presentation using minor incidents as teaching opportunities. 
Um, it starts with management, so management, get involved, uh, get on board. Encourage the staff members that you give the responsibility to to do a good job, and every once in a while an attaboy isn't a bad thing. Um, implement solid EPHI privacy monitoring solution. Sphere is a great place to start. How did I do that? And make sure that you get that security risk assessment done. It's it's really important and it's at the core of what we're talking about today in terms of the security rule. So the last thing I did for everybody is a simple checklist. This is not an SRA, but it's some things that you can be doing in your organization that allow you to just make sure you're on the right track and that everybody's doing the same thing, lock and step. So with that, uh, I want to thank everybody uh, for listening to my presentation, and I'll pass it back to Catherine. Great, thank you. Ray, thank you so much. Um, I did have a few questions that came in. Um, we really appreciated your um, presentation here. So um, one of the first questions that came in is, um, what is the difference between the privacy rule and the security rule? Yeah, um, yeah, it's a good, it's a good question, and we get asked that all the time. I think everybody gets confused, and that's why at the beginning of the presentation, I, I put those two slides in there. Um, yeah, it it sometimes does get confusing, even even though um, I know you you went over it, but still it gets it gets a little bit confusing. So um, if we could it, go over that it again, it does, it does. Yeah, if if I can keep it simple, the privacy rule deals with the right of an individual to keep their health information from being disclosed. And that applies to you, that you're helping them, assisting them. That's why I did the thing about first do no harm um, in terms of protecting PHI. And as you know, this is where I became very passionate and why I got into this business. It was on that privacy side of things. The security rule deals with the mechanisms that are in place at a covered entity or a business associate to protect that health information. So again, the privacy rule deals with the right of that individual to have their health information protected, and the security rule deals with the mechanisms in place that protect it. Does that, does that help, Catherine? Yes, yes, um, that helps okay. a whole lot. I tried to keep it as, as simple as possible because uh, it can get so gray and they do overlap so much. Right, right. So that helps, yes, that helps greatly, thank you. Okay, so the next question is um, some of the this this one comes up a lot. I'm sure you get this question a lot. So um, so if everybody has their listening ears on, um, so some of the people in our organization believe it's okay to view their own health records and also some of their their family members and their relatives. Is this a HIPAA violation? Uh, in simple terms, yes. <laughs> in not so simple terms, not always. Um, you know, I get, I do get asked this, and I was just uh, at a at a major conference uh, for one of the big EMR companies, and I had a number of rural practitioners and clinics, uh, FQHCs that are in clinical areas, critical access hospitals, who told me that they tend to look the other way when it comes to quote unquote snooping. You know, they were like, well, how can you avoid it? Everybody knows everybody. It doesn't matter if they live on the same street. There's only one school. Everybody goes to the same school. We know each other. Uh, that doesn't make it right. Um, I'll try to answer it in a time. Anytime somebody looks at a record, there should be an answer as to why they're looking at that record. Um, there's basic rules for access that we need to uh, follow. 
does it fit within your assigned job activities? Uh, and those activities would include these three things. Think of it this way. Um, treating the patient somewhere along the continuity of care. If I'm doing that, then I should be looking at that. And if that happens to be a relative or a neighbor or family member, uh, then that's okay. If it's not, that's a no. Uh, collecting payment for that treatment. So if I'm in billing and I happen to see one of my relative's records show up and I'm doing my job, then that is not snooping. If I go to look at that record and they're not, they haven't been in in six months and we're not sending them a bill, that's snooping and that's inappropriate. Uh, and then performing duties related to operating the business. Uh, depending on my roles and responsibilities and how that workflow works, again, if I'm doing my job and the activities of my job and that record comes across my desk, that is not snooping. That is not a violation. You, they're right. It, it doesn't need to be worried about. It's when that person steps out of line and goes out of their way to look at that record or that information. And then, you know, and I'll add to that, uses that in a malicious manner, sharing that information as gossip or as part of a court proceeding somewhere down the line. Then it becomes snooping and it becomes a HIPAA violation, and that will reflect on you and your organization. And that's, that's not somewhere we all want to be. Does that help, Catherine? Yes. Yes. Thank you. Um, okay. So we have another question. Yeah. Um, we have conducted our SRA. How often do we need to update it and for what purpose? Mm -hmm. You know, we, we started with the security risk assessments back in the meaningful use days. Uh, and as I indicated at the beginning of the presentation, um, it was the lack of adherence to the security risk assessments and the, the follow-on in terms of monitoring PHI that really were, were the catalyst to what I'm doing today as my job. Um, the security risk assessment now uh, more and more should be conducted on an annual basis uh, as you're looking at your MIPS uh, requirements. Um, this is going to be something that uh, OCR has indicated uh, that they're going to be adding. We believe they're going to be adding that as a requirement, so it's something that you're going to need to do. Um, you need to make sure that there are, if there are material changes to your organization, staff, or systems that you're using, then within 12 months of those changes, you need to conduct a security risk assessment. Um, I think we all have enough turnover, updates to our systems, uh, third-party systems that we're bringing in and replacing and migrating that every 12 months is appropriate. And if you've conducted your first security risk assessment, then going back and doing the next one is going to be a fraction of that time as you go in and you revisit the questions and start to update the questions. And again, I, I hit on this a little bit during the presentation. Uh, yes, it's time consuming, but you have a template that you're working against. You have a dynamic environment with people and systems within your office. And so making sure that you are getting the security risk assessment done annually that you are positioning yourself uh, so that you don't, uh, how do I say this? You don't want to be in a position where you're not reimbursed uh, in terms of not having your uh, RSA from a MIPS perspective going into 2019. Uh, so my answer is annually, uh, regularly, and all three sections, administrative, physical, and technical, is very important to your organization. Great, great. Okay, well, do you have any um, final thoughts for us or advice? 
You know, I, I think this is probably one of the, the biggest topics that we get asked about when we're out speaking at conferences uh, and and just talking to people when we're at trade shows is the security rule and the privacy rule is a byproduct of that. Um, again, I, I think it starts with that last question that uh, one of the listeners put in with regard to the security risk assessment. It will drive a lot of the, the questions and answers within your organization. So have that conversation. Don't just conduct a security risk assessment in a, in a vacuum. Get the employees involved in the process so that they can respect and understand what it is we're trying to do on behalf of our patients and that everybody is aware of the rules and the policies and procedures that are in place so that we can build a better organization and a better culture. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. And again, thank you to everybody for listening today. Great, great, thank you. Well, um, I wanted to, to thank you so much for being here today, Ray. Thank, um, thank you so much. Um, really appreciate the information, a lot of uh, great and practical information for us to, to implement. And um, so thank you so much. You're welcome. Uh, I wanted to uh, remind our listeners, uh, in case you were not aware, um, that we have uh, coming up very, very soon with uh, First Healthcare Compliance and then also jointly with Widener University uh, Delaware Law School that we have actually, speaking of um, uh, summits or, or um, conferences, that we have our conference coming up. It's a HIPAA Privacy and Security Summit that's coming up in um, very, very shortly now. It's on November 8th, and it's a full day uh, summit. It's going to be held on the campus um, of the Delaware Law School. So uh, you're going to be getting information about that in attendees. Um, uh, uh, actually, when you after you attend uh, tomorrow, um, you'll get information about that, um, or you can contact me at communications at firsthcc.com, but it's full day. Um, you get seven and a half um, CEUs or CLE credits, depending on what you need. Um, you also, there's the ethics CLE for those um, attorneys out there. That's, I know, a, a challenging one to get. Um, but so that's going to be a, a great, a great summit. So please check that out. Um, please also use the contact information on the screen for any questions uh, to get uh, directly in touch with, with Ray. Uh, you can also send us any questions. We'll forward them on. Uh, please also remember your PACOM and your PMI CEU certificate will be emailed to you uh, within two days following the broadcast. There's no need to request it. You can also register for future webinars and request a demo of our compliance solution on our website at firsthcc.com or call us at 888-543-4778. And thank you for joining us.